Hey there, welcome aboard. My name is Corey Williams, and we're doing a series going through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, let me go ahead and read the two verses to you, and then we'll pray and we'll get to work. This is Galatians 5 verses 22 and the beginning of 23. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the way of Christ. So let's pray that God would help us to be filled with His Spirit and keep in step with that Spirit and then display Christ-likeness to a watching world. So if you would, please bow with me and we'll pray. Lord, would you please have your way with this time? We ask God that you would fill your people with your Spirit and that we would live in step with that Spirit displaying the character of Christ for His glory, we pray in His name. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about the concept of joy. It is a beautiful reality, but it is also a very challenging reality. The way of Christianity is the way of joy. About 14 years ago, I was going through an experience that could be called the dark night of the soul. I was going through an experience in life that was disappointing and discouraging and I was doing ministry at that point but I was just really disheartened and I was ready to step away from it even. And then I was introduced to a concept called fighting for joy. Uh, really it was through the ministry of John Piper but I was introduced to this concept of fighting for joy and I began to see that joy is something that can be present even in the face of difficulties and discouragement. And so that concept led me to a place in Scripture where I learned how to become a more joyful person. And so I want to take you there and spend a little bit of time together considering this fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. If you've got a Bible at home, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Habakkuk and to chapter 3. It's a smaller book. It's only three chapters long. I'm only going to read a, a few verses from it. Uh, but it gives us really a case study of how to have joy in the midst of life's trials. So Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, I'll go ahead and read it right here, and then we'll talk through some of the concepts that are introduced there in those few verses. Habakkuk 3, verse 17 and following. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments." Well. Let me give you a little bit of context here. Most of us probably aren't familiar with the book of Habakkuk or the issues that were going on in his day when he was writing. Habakkuk is living through a cultural moment that was really terrible. He was looking around. He's a part of the community of faith, the people of God. But he was looking around at that community and he was seeing that there was this wickedness and injustice and it was all prevalent, that there were so many people who had a disregard for the things of God. And so in this letter, in this book that he writes, he gives complaints to God. And he basically says, God, don't you care? 
look at the people of God. They are wicked and evil and there's injustice at their hands and this is not okay. Don't you care about this problem? Well, God answers him. That's actually in chapter 1. And then God responds and God says, I do care and I am going to do something about it. In fact, I'm going to send judgment through the army of Babylon. Well, Habakkuk didn't like that plan at all. In fact, he thought Babylon was just awful. He thought, you know what, if that's the solution, that's worse than the problem. Babylon is so awful that if you're going to use them, I don't understand. And so he's complaining to God and then he's praying to God and he's troubled by God's response. And so uh, what he does is he takes a different approach toward the end of the book and he, he begins to pray in this way, God, remember how you have behaved in the past, how you've rescued and redeemed your people in the past, and do it again. And then God responds, and then we get to the end of the book, and we see the, the change in tone. We see that Habakkuk begins to respond to God as a person who is radically changed by God himself. And that's what happens here in this book. We see this transformation where Habakkuk goes from a person who's discouraged, and troubled and upset and complaining and he's transformed into a person of faith that's full of joy and confidence and rejoicing in God. Now that's what I've been praying would happen during our time together today. The truth is we're going through a cultural moment where many of us kind of look at the lay of the land and we go, this is not okay. Look at how things are unfolding. We're going through at the time of this recording a pandemic and social unrest and political unrest and uh, all kinds of layers upon layers upon layers of disruption. And many of us as believers could, could evaluate the cultural moment that we're going through and have the same response as that of Habakkuk. We could say, God, this is not right. Look at the disregard for your will and your ways, the disregard for your word and the lack of concern for the injustices in the world, and, and we could look at it in the same way. And I've been praying that God would use our time in His Word to transform us much like He transformed Habakkuk. Well, Charles Colson, somebody shared this quote with me this week. And the issue that we're going through today and the concerns that we may have, they're not new by any means. In fact, he wrote this a long time ago, but he said it like this. This is Charles Colson. He said, Where is the hope? I meet many who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where's the hope? The hope that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope as believers is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in this life. Colson was acknowledging that too often we allow our hope and therefore our joy to be connected to something that maybe isn't able to produce in us what we want it to. Um, and instead we need to become a people whose hope and whose joy is located in something more permanent, something much better. And so let's look at this concept here in Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm going to give you four different things, four, dif four different observations about joy. The first one is this. Joy is not circumstantial. The joy of the Lord is not something that comes and goes depending on how blessed the people of God are. Um, it's not circumstantial. 
It, do, it doesn't change based off of the circumstances. In fact, Habakkuk, as he writes, I mean, that's a big theme here in these closing verses. He's saying that everything is going poorly. In fact, it's going so bad that it's, it's a situation of deprivation. Look at verse 17. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. He's saying, look, everything about our economy is collapsing and failing. He's looking at the situation and he's saying, everything circumstantially is going very poorly. We're going through a situation of total deprivation. And yet, he's able to praise the Lord. He's rejoicing in the Lord and he's taking joy in God his Savior. And so we find here that joy does not rise or fall on the tide of how we perceive things to be going. Joy has a much firmer foundation than that. And so joy is not circumstantial. Uh, we see this in the New Testament. In fact, it it's, could be argued that the most joyful book of the New Testament is the letter that is written to the church in Philippi. And the theme of that letter is rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. It's believer, take joy in God. But the fascinating thing about that book is it's actually written from a prison cell. Paul is writing in a situation where he is deprived, where he is incarcerated, and where he is experiencing layers upon layers of disappointment and disruption, but he's able to say, look, I've found the secret of contentment. I've found a way to be happy regardless of what's going on around me. And he's calling the church to do the same. Joy is resilient because joy does not depend upon the circumstances. Now, as I've been saying throughout the course of this series, the fruit of the Spirit has a missional aspect to it. It has an effect on how people perceive Christianity. And so, whether or not people see us filled with the Spirit can either draw people to Christ or repel them from Him. And so, right now, as we look at our own hearts and our own lives, would people see our happiness rising and falling depending on how things are going for us? In other words, would people be able to look at us and see anything different from the rest of the world. Because honestly, if you're happy when things are going your way, and you're disappointed when they're not, that's very ordinary. Christianity is extraordinary. It's incredible because Christians are a people who can be happy and joyful even when circumstances aren't going their way. We need to be a people whose joy is firmly rooted in God. C.S. Lewis, he puts it like this. He says, don't let your happiness depend upon something that you might lose. Now, obviously, happiness and joy are different from one another, but they are related. And he has a very important point here. Be careful that your emotional temperature isn't wed to something that you might lose. Don't let the, your emotions be so wed to things that come and go. Instead, let your emotions be wed to the reality of God himself. And that's the second observation about the joy that we find here in Habakkuk chapter 3. Joy is found in God. Biblical joy is located in God himself. Look at verse 18. It says, 
in light of all the problems that are going on in our current circumstances, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You see, the circumstances can change. They can get better or worse. But God does not change. And so when our, when our joy is wed to Him because it is found in Him, that means that we can go through all kinds of different situations in life and have that fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of joy. And when that happens, we become a people who are, who are firmly rooted in God. Paul writes it like this in Romans chapter 8. He's asking a rhetorical question and the answer, the implied answer, really is beautiful. But he's saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's saying, look at what God has done for our salvation. Now, consider this. I mean, if he did that for our salvation, won't he also along with that give us all things? The answer is, obviously, God is committed to our good. And so he is able to care for us through all circumstances. He goes on in verse 38 and following to say it like this, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has come to a place in his life and in his ministry and in his experience of the Lord where he's saying there is nothing and no one that can unsettle me because my joy is in God and God has graciously given me everything that I need for my salvation and for life in his kingdom. So joy is found in God. Christians are a people whose joy is in the Lord. Joy is in God our Savior. The third thing that we see here is that joy gives us strength in hard places. The circumstances did not change for Habakkuk. The things were going poorly and they continue to go poorly, but he begins to see a future vision of what God is going to do. And in the midst of that, as he's rejoicing in God, he's confessing that that joy is actually strengthening him. Look at verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He's using this mountainous imagery and he's talking about the reality of the treacherous conditions that are, that are at the top of the mountains. I remember um, hiking mountains in Colorado and uh, it was after a knee surgery so I had a knee brace on and I was climbing with a friend but there were areas of scree which are loose rocks and then there were all these kind of treacherous features that you had to navigate through and we climbed a mountain and got to the top and climbed back down and my body actually went into shock. And it was probably, you know, all the different things that were going on, the fact that, there, that I was probably experiencing altitude sickness and the fact that we had traversed such hard trails and my body was stressed from that. And then, you know, the, the physical trauma of my, my, my physical body being put through that, especially right after a surgery. And so uh, I, got, I got ill in that moment. And it just kind of pointed out the, the reality of 
navigating those mountainous places. Well, here Habakkuk is saying, Habakkuk is saying, um, he's he's God is giving him swift footing. He's giving him feet like a deer that's able to kind of make it through all these different mountainous places. He's enabling me to tread on the heights. He's he's saying. God isn't taking me into the meadow with the streams of water and the beautiful lusciousness there. He says, he's giving me what I need in the treacherous places. So I was thinking about an example of this and uh, Charles Simeon came to mind. Uh, Charles Simeon was a pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge for 54 years. And as I was reading his biography, um, the biographer pointed out that when when Simeon was first appointed, the church did not want him. So he was kind of given his assignment and the church said, we don't want this guy. And they actually, at the beginning of his ministry, caused him a lot of grief. Um, while church services were going on, people would throw rocks through the, through the windows to disrupt the service. And um, the way that it was set up back then, they actually had the church seating and they, they had the ability to lock the seating so that people couldn't use it. And so members of the church who didn't want Charles Simeon to be the pastor shut the pews. They locked the pews so that if anyone wanted to go and attend a church service, they didn't have a place to sit. They, they would, according to the biography, they would line the, the aisles. They would sit on the floor. Or they would bring chairs and uh, bring them into the aisles of the church. And it also talks about how during that season they would, um, Charles Simeon would have to walk to the church facility and they would kind of line the, the path that he would take and they would assault him verbally and, and assault the people who were going into the church verbally and they would even assault him physically, that they would, they would egg him and kick up dirt on him and do these different things. And, um, you know, you got to wonder, why would he continue to serve? And how did he encourage himself in that season of ministry? Well, in his biography, he talks about that. And he, he wrote in his journal, um, and his biographer records this. It says, When I was an object of much contempt and derision at the university campus, uh, which is where the church was located, he said, I strolled forth one day, buffeted and afflicted, with my Bible in my hand, and I prayed earnestly to my God that he would comfort me with something from his word. And then he opened his Bible, and it says that his eyes landed on this one passage of Scripture, where it said that they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to bear the cross of Jesus Christ. And he writes in his journal, You know Simon is the same name as Simeon. What a word of instruction was here. What a blessed hint for my encouragement. To have the cross laid upon me that I might bear it after Jesus. What a privilege. It was enough. Now I could leap and sing for joy as one whom Jesus was honoring with a participation in his sufferings. You see, joy strengthens us in hard places. It doesn't promise that it's going to remove the hardship, but it promises that we can navigate that hardship with the Lord himself. Simeon experienced that. Habakkuk experienced that. You and I can experience that as well.
Joy gives us strength in hard places. Now, this has been such a word of encouragement to me. Um, honestly, you know, going through this season has been really, really hard. And uh, I was thinking about it this week and just reflecting on the future that we have together. So we launched our campus four years ago now. And the launch of a, of a church is a really taxing experience um, for a lot of different reasons, spiritual warfare, uh, emotional taxation, relational taxation. I mean, it's just a, a tiring reality. And, and then a pandemic happens. And then all these other layers of disruption have happened ever since. And I've been thinking about what does the future hold for us? And there are aspects of it that are very, very exciting, but there are also aspects of it that are very disheartening. And I think about, I think about the loss and the discouragement. I think about people who no longer want to be the part, be a part of our church, right? They've done this before and now we're going to relaunch and we're going to, you know, try to build back the momentum that we have lost and we're going to try to re-engage people in the community and we're going to try to restart a lot of the ministries that we've kind of uh, had to set aside in this season and the truth is there are a lot of people who are like dude i'm not interested i'm tired and then there are people who are upset i mean being faithful to god in this moment means that you upset everybody that being faithful to god means that you're going to upset various people for different reasons and 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 people right now are angry and they're vocal about it and and it's just really hard. And so I have taken courage this week as I've gone through Habakkuk chapter 3 and been reminded of this fight for joy, this fruit of the Spirit that is joy. And, and I am so grateful that even if the circumstances don't get better, even if they get harder or worse, God will give us the strength that we need in those hard places. Well, fourth and finally, the fourth observation we see here is that joy is a result of faith. Now, it's not obvious in the text that we looked at, but it's obvious in the book itself. Um, right in the middle of the book, God is speaking to Habakkuk, and he tucks in this incredible line, and I really do think it's the point of the entire book. He says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, it's considering what the what the enemy is like, but then it says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So the enemy has a future and it's not great, but then God says, but the righteous will live by faith. That's how the New Testament picks up that quotation. It says the righteous person will live by faith. And what we find at the end of the book of Habakkuk is that Habakkuk himself has become a person of faith. He has been transformed by the promises of God and he is now coming to believe them wholeheartedly. He believes the promise that was given in chapter 2 verse 14 where it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He has taken confidence in the promise of the future of God and he believes that even if he doesn't see it in his own lifetime, it will come true. Even if things get worse for him, even if nothing is going well, the fig does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, there are no olive crops, 
The fields are producing no food. There are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. May that be true of us as well. May we find our joy in God himself, and may we find that to be more than enough. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promises, and we thank you that in Christ they are all yes and amen. So give us faith. Let us live by faith and therefore experience joy. Help us to be so filled with the Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit, specifically joy, would be evident in our lives. And let people be drawn to the Savior because of it. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.